Welcome to the Psychology World Podcast with me, Conor Whiteley. Psychology student and international best-selling psychology author of over 30 psychology books, bringing you the latest psychology news, fascinating psychology topics and more each week. If you want to learn more, then please check out connorwhiteley.net forward slash books. And don't forget to like and subscribe to the YouTube video or follow on your favourite podcast app. And here's the show. Hi everyone and welcome to episode 198 of the Psychology World Podcast with me, Con Whiteley. And today's episode is on what needs to be said about autism, sex and intimacy. And it is Saturday the 1st of April 2023 as I record this. So today's episode I absolutely love because this is a topic that I really enjoy. And this is a topic that, to be honest, this does need a lot more focus on. Because autistic people, they still want to have intimate relationships. They still want to have sex. But... It, but it is a lot more difficult for them because of that, I hate the word impaired in this context because it's impaired by normal, by clinically normal standards, but not by others, so I don't know, like, it's hard like, to describe that, but this is a lot more of, um, difficult for autistic people, especially as sex is really intimate, but it's also a very physical act, so you've got those aspects. So this is definitely something that therapists and psychological professionals need to talk a lot more about. And that's something that we'll be focusing on in the content part of today's episode. I really did enjoy it. So moving on to the psychology news section, we're reading from the British Psychological Society Research Digest. And the first one is particularly culturally important, I think. So the first one is, you might like paintings more if you stop to read the gallery labels. This is just the art galleries might enjoy the egg experience more if they read the artwork labels according to a new paper in scientific reports. People found paintings more aesthetically pleasing after reading contextual information such as the brief biography of the artist or a description of their painting techniques. But this effect only occurred for participants with limited Arctic experience or those with a curious and open-minded personality. So personally, when it comes to art, I'm not that fussed by art. Art, especially if you're subscribed to the British Psychological Society Research Digest, then the image they have is what's known as abstract art. And literally, it's some red and yellow sort of paintings. There's not really anything to it. I do not like abstract art. I think, <laughs> I don't quite think it's pointless, but I just really don't see the point in it. But I suppose if you do read the like gallery labels, then it is a lot more interesting. For example, when I go to the, um, to the British Museum, and if I see something interesting when I look, then it does help you to appreciate it more. So I do understand this. Yeah, but again, even though I am very limited in my art experience, am I curious and open-minded? Not when it comes to art. 
I'm curious and open-minded about basic everything else, so it's not when it comes to arts. Again, this wouldn't really work on me. But it's interesting that we know that gallery labels, they aren't just for decoration. <laughs> they do actually have a good effect on people. So the next one is how ghosting affects people who feel the need for closure. Ghosting ends in a relationship with no exclamation and through a sudden lack of a plan is often cited as a scourge of modern dating. Many of us have been ghosted. Or as much as we are loath to admit it, ghosted some ourselves. Most would say that being ghosted can be a fairly un unpleasant egg experience, leaving us feeling a need for closure that just doesn't come. But a new study finds the experience hits those with an aversion for ambiguity particularly hard. However, the same people are not opposed to ghosting others, and in fact, may be even more prone to doing it. So this, I think, is quite a fascinating idea because personally, I like, I do quite like closure. I don't quite think I'm particularly strong in need for cognitive closure, which is a different aspect of um, cognitive for psychology because of all the negative effects that like it can have. Or maybe I'm just lying like to myself as it make myself feel better. But as I do like closure. I do like to know why something happened. And I do like to make sure that I've said stuff to certain people. Like if I know that I'm never going to see them like again. And that's becoming particularly clear. And that's becoming particularly clear as it's coming towards the end of my degree. But thank God for the internet these days. Ghosting, I can see why people might do it. I still think it's harsh and wrong. But uh, I do find it quite weird though that even though people who need um, closure, well, they're hit hardest by it. But it's weird how they're most likely to do it because you would have thought that if they have particularly high empathy skills, then that they would acknowledge how it makes them feel, so they wouldn't want to put another person through it. But to be honest, when it comes to ghosting, if you want to ghost someone, then to be honest, you probably just want to enter the relationship there then, and you aren't too bothered about their feelings. So I do understand and I do see tons of articles on it so I really am tempted to do something more about it on the podcast in the future or maybe that's what the, the 200s can be and the last one is are some people better liars or are some lies more convincing or that is a tough question whilst most people are useless at spotting lies Research has suggested some of us make her for more convincing lies than others. However, studies that have reached this conclusion fail to consider that perhaps some lies are just easier to see through, argued the authors of a new paper in Perspectives on Psychological Science. The team reanalyzed existing data in an attempt to dissemble the effects of lie and liar finding only very limited support for the idea that some people are better liars. And to be honest, I do completely agree with this, well, because everyone lies. Like, to be honest, I think that if you say you never lie, 
you're lying to yourself because everyone does. It's natural. And so you do need to lie in certain like situations, like white lies or lying to make someone like feel good. But if we focus more on like the actual lie itself, then I know from personal like, experience that if I lie just a little bit, and if it's a very easy and it's and it's a completely reasonable lie, then I always know that that's easier to like get away with. But if it's more of a convoluted lie, then I know that it's going to take a lot more effort to be convincing. And to be honest, I just stay I just stay away from them because it's not worth it. <laughs> Some lashes are not worth a trying to make convincing. So it's an interesting topic. And this is something I am exploring more later in the year with a forensic psychology book that will be coming out in 2024. So I hope you enjoy the psychology news section. So let's move on to the personal update. So we're moving on to the personal update. To be honest, this is going to be a very <laughs> short personal update because to be honest, the only interesting thing that's actually going on at the moment is that it's less than a week away till my dissertation's due and I'm still working on it. To be honest, I think three more hours and it will be done. So I'm really pleased. So I know I will definitely be able to finish it. But there's tons of other things going on at the moment, which is definitely distracting me, like deaths in the family. And I do say this like jokingly, but when people die, why can't they die in a more convenient way? And why can't they schedule their death a bit better just so I can at least finish my dissertation first? So it's just my dissertation that I'm working on at the moment. And it's a lot of fun. And as always, I always like love to your thoughts and feelings on today's episode. So you can always email me, conwiley.net. You can always leave a comment at the show notes at conwiley.net forward slash podcast. And you can always stream on Twitter at SciFiWiley or leave a comment on the Facebook post at Conwiley Psychology Author. I always really love to hear from all of you because it really helps make the podcast feel more like a conversation. And you can also um, send me pictures of where you're like, listening to from all over the world that I would really love. And today's episode has been sponsored by Developmental Psychology, a guide to developmental and child psychology. So this is an absolute brilliant sponsor for today's episode because Developmental Psychology is really impacted by autism because autism is a neurodevelopmental disorder so it, it does impact stuff like social development and this brilliant really easy to understand book does have a, a really big uh, section on autism and other neurodevelopmental disorders but it also touches on other stuff for example cross-cultural development that is a fascinating section that I loved writing off that but it also talks about stuff like cognitive development, the brain development of a child and how this impacts like their behaviour. So this covers so much and I think this book's like 50,000 words so it's definitely one of my like longer books but it is filled with so much great information 
And as much as I say I don't like the development of psychology, I, to be honest, I now know that that's alive because I do enjoy it. And this book really does have that passion and interest. So that's Developmental Psychology, a guide to developmental and child psychology. Available from all major ebook retailers, and you can get the paperback and the hardback version from Amazon, your local bookstore, or local library if you request it. And you can buy the ebook directly from me at payhip.com forward slash Connor Whiteley. And buying it directly from authors just helps to support them more because we get more of the money in instead of these large online retailers. So let's move on to the content part of today's episode. So we're moving on to the content part of today's episode. So we're going to be talking about what needs to be said about autism, intimacy and sex. This is such a good episode. So let's just like dive into it. I know when I started to research autism and wanted to explore this topic in that great depth towards the end of my sixth form years, so around 18 years old, I came across the weird myth within academic research that autistic people had no sense of self and they didn't have a sexuality at all. Now, I'm really glad that academia has realised that this is a myth now, but a lot of professionals still don't realise that sexuality and intimate relationships within autistic people aren't subjects that are commonly discussed. And this is a great shame, I think, because there are tons of autistic people that do want to have sex, be in deeper, meaningful relationships. And for autism, this can be a difficult topic. Especially when research like Davios 2020 found many people on the autistic spectrum don't identify with the heteronormative and traditional values when it comes to sexual and intimate relationships. Yet there is a massive lack of academic research on the subject. And this academic research, if it was available, then this would be very helpful in supporting all autistic people having the healthy as well as meaningful relationships that they crave. For example, I know tons of all autistic people in my life, and only a, a, a few of them would never ever have a sexual relationship with anyone. Yet, my older best friend. He has uh, plenty of uh, great, loving and caring relationships with a girlfriend and he was autistic. So it is uh, clear that some autistic people do want sexual and intimate relationships and others do not. Hmm, and does that sound like neurotypical people to me? Yes it does. So why might this lack of research exist? Personally, I certainly think it centres around prejudice, stigma and discrimination against autistic people and the beliefs that people have about them. Since I know we're talking to other students and the professionals that they're surprised to learn that autistic people do want relationships, love and sex. 
these beliefs are understandable to the extent that it is known that all artistic people do have difficulties with touch, emotions and empathy and these are all really important in a close and sexual relationships. In addition, sex and intimacy are still very taboo subjects to talk about in, in Western society and definitely in UK society. The British are very taboo about like, this stuff. <laughs> and even more so for people with disabilities, be it physical, mental or neurological. Therefore, these are beliefs about sex and intimacy in impact academic research funded and basically it makes no one want to research this. So if you are like listening as like today's episode and you like autism research and you are in a position to do this, perhaps please do some like research on this because it is so badly needed. Furthermore, Whilst there are some autism advocates working on the topic, like the neurodivergent rebel, as well as a wheelchair the Rapunzel, and now me on like this podcast, it is a massive shame that mental health services that support all autistic people just aren't doing enough to educate all autistic people and others about intimacy and sex. Just just because a person is all autistic doesn't mean that they shouldn't be able to enjoy intimate and sexual relationships if they want to. How could we educate and support autistic people? There are tons of different ways we could hopefully start to change this and one of the simplest suggestions could be starting with ourselves. The main problem with this debate is that it is the mental health services and academics that aren't doing enough to support all autistic people in this area. The solution has to start with them, so while we all need to accept that relationships are not the same for everyone. And I think that this is a rather e- easy thing to understand when you start thinking about it, because successful relationships seriously are not the same for everyone. For example, it's a joke in my family that my family is flat out weird because they sleep in the same bed, but all of her friends sleep in separate beds. Yet that clearly works for them and their relationships, and a lot of non-straight people have successful relationships too. I bet if you started looking at you and your friends and the relationships in now that you probably see a ton of differences and that's honestly part of what makes this all so fun interesting and important to understand therefore if we explicitly connect this to autism then a lot of traditional relationships marriages and heteronormative relationships aren't available or even desirable to autistic people as well as whilst Joe and all 2021 found most all autistic people are in fact interested in a relationship, few professionals seem to be openly talking about how having a neurodivergent condition will impact the likelihood of this happening.
As a result, this does need to be a change because we do need to have professionals to help all autistic people understand intimate relationships. This is even more important when we realise that a lot of autistic people enjoy talking about and questioning their sexuality and personal preferences. Personally, this is a great thing and to really focus on the autism aspect. I know from personal experience that being a teenager is so, so hard. Questioning your sexuality and being autistic is harder because you truly don't know where you stand, and that the world is already chaotic and bad enough for you. If you live in a world that doesn't accept or want to help your autism, so throwing a questioning sexuality into the mix, it is a nightmare, a beautiful nightmare, but one just the same. So that's why it's important for therapists to, to be open and talking about this. Additionally, it's important that people understand that what might look as strange to neurotypical people is actually healthy and joyous for autistic people, as well as it is these, these differences that should be supported and encouraged by psychological prof- professionals. Because after all, it is their job to ensure that their clients live happy and fulfilled lives. And I think we can all agree, being in sexual and intimate relationships, if we choose to be, certainly helps that. Is there an overlap between autistic people and the LGBT plus community? I will admit that the book that really got me interested in autism research and similar topics when I was about 17 was on autism and gender identity. And whilst that is different to a sexuality, I still think that it's important in making me realise just how many myths there is about autism within the academic literature. As a result, there is an overlap between neurodivergent people and the LGBT plus community. And I should also note that there is still an overlap between neurotypical people and the community. And yet, something I have a minor problem with, okay then, a massive problem with, is just how little resources and books and papers are there on the topic. Personally, I would love there to be tons of research because if you think about the current or past thinking about autism, then then this is a weird finding. Finding because I can only imagine that some professor who's out of touch with the world wanting to find out why all autistic people would ever want to be LGBT plus because it is apparently. <laughs> and that doesn't make me laugh against the societal rules and all autistic people have these rules in their minds and when you start to consider the myths surrounding LGBT plus people then this represents another conflict with perceptions against all autistic people and I mean like myths around the sexual side of it and how every single all artistic people would hate it. Again, the myths. And I uh, just wanted to point out that considering 
a lot of the research and sets out to challenge myths, stereotypes, and what, and so-called common knowledge, I am mass surprised that this stuff hasn't been tested in academic settings. So if we're going back towards the more factor-based stuff, a possible reason for this lack of books and resources on the topic is it because many disabled as well as neurodivergent people are emphasized and de-sexualized to such an extreme extent that their preferences and sexuality are often ignored and devalued. Again, this comes back to the myths about all autistic people not being interested in sexual relationships at all. Conclusion Overall, at the end of this episode, we've covered a lot of interesting points that makes us question the myths around sex, intimacy and more about all autistic people. I know, I truly know from personal experience that this is an impossible topic at times, but it needs to be spoken about. As Marlowe said in, in his hierarchy of needs, intimacy is a fundamental human need, and if professionals and therapists aren't encouraging, helping and supporting all autistic people to have these healthy relationships, then we as a profession are failing people. All of us have the right to relationships, to love and sex and intimacy. Just because all artistic people are technically disabled doesn't mean that they are the exception to this rule. And as the current or future therapist, it is our duty to try and help all artistic people form and maintain these most critical relationships. Because what are humans without our relationships? So I really hope that you enjoyed today's episode and that you got something out of it. I know that I did. I love this topic and I think it is one that I will return to if I see some good articles on it in the future. So if you wanted to see a podcast, then if you know someone who would enjoy it, then please share it with them. I'm always really grateful when you wonderful people help us spread the words I hear about the podcast. And definitely check out Developmental Psychology, a guide developmental and child psychology available in all the usual places. And you can buy it directly from me at payhip.com forward slash conwiley. And you can also buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash conwiley. So have a great day everyone. I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening today. I hope you found it helpful. Please remember to like the video and subscribe to the YouTube channel and follow the podcast on your favourite podcast app. And if you wanted to learn more, then please check out the backlist of the podcast episodes or my books at conwhitely.net. So have a great day and I'll see you next time.